have two different readings from scripture, the first being found in Psalm, Psalm 57, the entire chapter. It's found on page 894 in your pew Bible. Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Our second reading is found in John, John chapter 20, verses 19, verses 24 to 29. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this celebration of hope, this sacrament of blessing. Lord, we've sung praise to you. We've prayed. And Lord, we've now heard your words spoken. And we pray that our time of worship here this morning will, will soak deep inside of our hearts and souls and minds to shape us more and more into the people you've called us to be. I pray that the words which will be spoken next, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning we're finishing our quick, abbreviated look at the Apostles' Creed. We had so many celebrations kind of creep in over the last few weeks that um, resurrection flesh is where we're going to, uh, to end. Uh, we still had a life everlasting that we believe in, but if we believe in resurrection flesh, um, I'm just counting on the fact that you know that uh, we will also be with our, our God forever afterwards as well. Today's sermon may be a little bit more teaching than preaching because this is one of those topics that um, it just there's so much to it. And there's also, unfortunately, a lot of misunderstanding about what this confusing topic, resurrection of the flesh, actually entails. So the Apostles' Creed teaches, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Now one of the first places I turn to when I'm going to kind of think on the Apostles' Creed is the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, how many of you love the Heidelberg Catechism? Oh, I hope there's lots of hands. It's... Um, Heidelberg Catechism, as our missionaries took the Heidelberg Catechism as a teaching tool to teach the Bible and to teach the faith around the world, the world has fallen in love with this document because it is a document that is all about God, but it is also all about comfort. So the Heidelberg Catechism... Uh, we read, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? And again, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? It goes on to say, not only my soul after this life immediately will be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. So when the Catechism talks about the comfort of the resurrection, it talks about both our soul and our body. And in the history of the church, so often the resurrection has focused so much on the soul, leading to a number of heresies over the years that, that led people to consider the body as something negative and the souls as something more sacred. This meant that you could do whatever you wanted with your body, including adultery or, 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 or whatever. And it wasn't considered all that bad because after all, it's just your body. Like, who cares? It's our soul that's most important. And I wonder if that kind of thinking kind of shapes what many people think about what happens to us after we die. I've had so many people who, who when a loved one dies, says, well, now they're an angel with God. And I always find that so sad because we were created in the image of God and angels weren't. And angels are just merely another creature of God. You know, there's something special about how God formed us in his image and gave us life through his breath. Psalm 57 
has even been used to lead us into that kind of thinking, that it's our souls that are saved at death. Verse 1, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Now, when David writes this, he's running away from Saul, and Saul wants to kill him. Saul is so afraid of, of David, and, and David's trapped in a cave, and Saul is there at the mouth of the cave, and, and Saul is sleeping, and, and David sneaks up there, and he cuts a corner off his cloak because David says, I cannot kill my king because God has put him in his place. Who am I? to do that against God. And, and well, there's a couple of things this week that just really jumped out at me. I think of the Ukraine being, being invaded and how, you know, there's a desire to overthrow the government there. But I think in our own country, how there is a desire to overthrow our country or our government as well. And I think sometimes, man, we've got to pay a whole lot more attention to the Bible. David honors Saul. Something to think about when we don't like our own leaders. Now, when David writes this psalm, he uses a word. It's nepes or nephesh, which translates as soul, life, or personality when he talks about taking refuge in God. Because the psalms are poetry... It can be really hard sometimes to translate. So it could be translated as, in you my soul or my life or my personality takes refuge. And that's how some have translated this. But the point of the psalm is not what part of David takes refuge in God, but that God is a faithful and loving God, worthy to be praised even in times of distress and danger, and that we can turn to God knowing that he will protect us. No matter what's happening, David is focused on God's glory here. This is why it's important to read the psalm, to read the scriptures in the way it was intended to be read within a context a context of, of, of either the chapter, the whole book, or the entire Bible. So much bad theology comes from misreading the Bible. And the theme of this psalm is God's faithfulness. His faithfulness and his love. And that's why Jesus' resurrection and meeting with his disciples, especially with Thomas is important because it emphasizes Jesus' physical resurrection. Thomas isn't around when, when Jesus appears to the disciples the first time. And, and I don't know what he was doing. The Bible doesn't say why, but he just wasn't there. And then the disciples, they, they tell him when he comes back, hey, Jesus is alive. He was right here. He's physically risen from the dead. And, and Thomas kind of goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute, when we listen to our scriptures, it says when we, when we die in Genesis that, that by the sweat of the brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you will return. I'm thinking Thomas is, is kind of going, hey, 
How does resurrection happen? You see, Jesus had done resurrections, but that's because of who he is. He raised three people from the dead. The the widow's son in the village of Nain, the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, a a ruler in the synagogue, and and Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha and Bethany, after he had been dead for four days. And that's a whole other sermon where all these are. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, even his sister Martha had a hard time believing that it could happen, saying, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, well, well, you know what? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You know, and, and, and when I listened to Jesus' words at that moment, as, as if I was standing there, not knowing all that comes next, you know what? It sounds as clear as mud to me. And I'm sure Martha and the others were going, okay, sure, great, wonderful. But what does this have to do with Lazarus? See, resurrection is always the exception rather than the rule in Scripture. And each of the people that Jesus raised from the dead end up dying again anyway. Martin Horton writes about the work of the Holy Spirit and the physical creation. He, he, I love Horton because he loves the Reformed faith and all our favorite kind of theologians. Abraham Kuyper argues that there is always a, a subtle Marcionite temptation to imagine that the God of creation is somehow other than the God of redemption and that Perhaps the latter, the God of redemption, saves us from the God of creation. That's what he writes. Using biblical poetry, Michael Horton writes that the biblical story is actually one of a God who redeems his own creation. That Jesus becomes physically human like us. And the Spirit turns a barren desert, our hearts and our souls because of sin, into a blossoming orchard because of grace. And he goes on to talk about how the physical creation is so important to God. It's his creation. And he created us in his image as physical creatures, which is why resurrection and redemption is seen and understood as including all of creation including our physical body and the entire physical universe. How many of you know who Marcion of Asia Minor are? I got some work to do in church history here. (laughs) Okay, so he's in the early 100s. And he's a a teacher, a, a leader in the church. But, But he looks at the scriptures, and he says, you know what? The scriptures reveal that there are two different gods. There is a God of, of, of creation, and man, he's an angry God, and he's a vengeful God. And then you got the, the God of redemption, and, and, and he's a good God, and he, he loves us so much that he sends Jesus to, to, to die for us, to save us from our, our sins. But But he sees the God of creation as bad 
And that leads him to teach that, that the material world is not good. And that really our salvation is just our souls and our spirit. And he taught this widely through the church. But you know what? This way of thinking gained a lot of traction in the church at various times in history. And I still hear it today. I sometimes hear it even in our own churches. But it's wrong. God doesn't give up on his material world. Because this means that Satan's plan to claim this world for his own, that means he wins. See, all Satan wanted to do was mess up God's work of creation. But Jesus stops that. He says, "Uh uh-uh. Ain't gonna happen. Scripture is clear that Jesus wins. Satan's just part of creation. Satan is just a creature. And Jesus is the creator. And he does not give up on what he created. And for developing and teaching these ideas, Marcion was kicked out of the church in in 144 AD as a heretic. But that movement spread. And it was powerful. And it's still around today. This is why theology sometimes is important. Because we can get some really bad ideas about who we are and who God is. I love how Martin Horton or Michael Horton writes, the world will be different when Jesus comes back and returns, but it will not be a different world. When Jesus returns, the Bible tells us that all those who died will be with Jesus as he comes to redeem and restore the earth. I love how there's so many of the Psalms that talk about the earth being in the pains of childbirth, just eagerly waiting for the return of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior. The creation, the entire creation. We get a picture in Revelation of a creation healed and restored as Satan is defeated once and for all. And then there will come a time where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. And just as Thomas was able to touch Jesus' wounds, in the same way we'll also be raised up with transformed bodies, physical bodies, to live on in a physical earth. Bodies we can touch. That gives me so much hope. So it keeps me going on. Because it shows that Jesus' resurrection is really important. But it also reminds us that our bodies are important. And that we need to treat ours and everyone else's bodies with respect. 
That's why the church talks so much about treating each other with love. That's why the church was working on the healthy sexuality report and, and, and put so much time and effort because it's about respecting so often each other's bodies and each other's souls because bad sexuality hurts people so often. It reminds us that when we receive our renewed bodies that the diseases, the, the brokenness in our bodies that come from life, enduring life, that, that the addictions and the brokenness in our souls, the fact that we have bodies that many of us don't even love, that they're all precious to God. And that Jesus brings healing and wholeness both body and soul. That's why we join Psalm 57 and Jesus' resurrection together. It reminds us that the physical creation is important. And it calls us back to our original call to be stewards of this creation gift that God has given us to look after. The resurrection takes the soul that David refers to and reassures us that it will be reunited to our physical bodies again after death. And you might say, hey, pastor, how's that going to work? And you know what? I'm going to tell you, I got no clue. Because that's a God thing. That's something way beyond I can ever figure out. But this is where trust in God. This is where hope in God comes in. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that first shaped us and formed us in the womb who has the power to reunite our body and soul again. The Holy Spirit that prepared a body in Mary's womb for Jesus, the Son of God. If the Holy Spirit is able to do that, he's able to take our bodies and souls and reunite them again. And that's why when we talk about the Lord's Supper, when we talk about the feast in heaven, we're talking about sitting around a physical table. We're talking about eating physical food. And I'm thinking, that's going to be some pretty amazing food. That's why stories of, of Jesus on the seashore after his resurrection, where he is cooking fish for his disciples and feeds them, are so important. A spirit can't cook fish like that. But a resurrected body can. And it reminds us that we'll have a body again where we can cook we can go fishing. We can do all those things that we love here on this earth. And I don't know how God's going to renew this world. I sometimes figure maybe he's just going to use us. Not a snap of the finger, but saying, hey, you mess things up. It's like we tell our kids, go clean up your room. Maybe Jesus will say, go clean up creation. We've got eternity to do it in, life everlasting. Jesus appeared to his disciples to fill them with his spirit, to send them out to bring the good news of salvation and redemption, and to show the world that our whole person, body and soul, is precious to God and is saved and redeemed through Jesus' sacrifice for us. Amen. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for those scholars and those pastors who think deeply on these things so that we might learn well what your Bible teaches about who you are, but also about who we are and, and what creation's all about. For the reassurance that, that you love this creation and you love us and that you never give up on us and that you will restore us body and soul when Jesus returns. And we have eternity with you. Thank you for that hope. Amen.